Welcome to the Hear It From Me podcast, where we get to know the stories of people who have found their own voice, live a life of authenticity, and help others do the same. I'm your host, Dale Likens, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you a conversation with Jessica Rivera. Jessica is a Grammy award-winning soprano. The Cleveland Plain Dealer says this, the dimension and spirituality with which she infuses her performances on international concert and opera stages has garnered Ms. Rivera unique artistic collaborations with many of today's most celebrated composers. And I will tell you, there is no way that I would be able to, t- to share with you everywhere Jessica has shared her talent and what stages she has been on. But there are many. I encourage you to go to jessicarivera.com and uh, see the extensive list of what she has been uh, about in her life and the collaborations she's been a part of. She's been in places like Columbus Symphony, the Houston Symphony, Cincinnati Opera, the Aspen Music Festival, Carnegie Hall, Kennedy Center, the Lincoln Center, Nashville Symphony. She's been in Ottawa and Spain and Los Angeles and New York City and New Zealand and London. She's appeared in so many places, and she has an extensive discography as as well, so you can find her music Um, wherever you get music. I met Jessica at the University of Cincinnati Health World Voice Day event in 2017. A mutual friend, uh, my uh, voice therapist, Renee Gustin, introduced us, and I was a, a student in Jessica's private studio as the last phase of my voice therapy journey. Uh, She was then helping me learn how to use my voice correctly in, uh, in singing. I learned so much about myself because of that. Uh, Like, just get out of your own way and let it happen, she would tell me. Good advice that was given to her many years ago. She makes me laugh. Jessica's a joyful person. I just love her and am so happy to share my conversation with Jessica Rivera with you. So I am so glad to have Jessica Rivera with me today on Hear It From Me. Jessica, welcome. Thank you so much, Dale. It's so good to see you. Yes. And, you know, Jessica and I met um, when, uh, well, we were both at a University of Cincinnati World Voice Day event and didn't know each other. And uh, my uh, uh, voice therapist, Renee Gustin, introduced us and she said, whenever I release you for the next step, you need to connect with Jessica. And so we just said hi. And she did. And I did. And we started doing uh, singing lessons together. Uh, I guess that's what you call it. Is that what you call it? Voice lessons. Yes. Voice lessons. Okay. Yes. I thought that might be a better way to say it. So, but um and so I showed up at Jessica's house and we started, it was years ago and we've been, uh, uh, you know, doing that. And it just really, it was another thing that just changed my life. So wow. thank you, Jessica, for that. My, my honor, my privilege <laughs> to be a part of your journey and to be a part of really anyone's um, vocal journey. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel that deeply because um, my own personal philosophy, and as I've become a professor of voice, I well, actually technically this term right now is assistant professor of voice. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, fingers I, crossed. Yes. Fingers crossed. Um I have learned that, you know, singing isn't just a physical thing. It's Mm -hmm. often a reflection of what's going on in your heart and your mind. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly a reflection of your experiences and the things you've been taught and the things you are exploring about yourself and what comes out in the music Mm -hmm. is intrinsically tied to those two things. Absolutely. I had a 
dear best friend from graduate school whose grandmother, Helen Kemp, uh, was a pedagogue uh, professor, became professor emeritus at uh, Westminster Choir College. She was a composer. She wrote a lot of choral music for children's choirs. And uh, her husband was also a conductor, um, musician. Uh, they both were active in the church in music ministry. And her philosophy was body, mind, spirit, voice. It takes the whole person to sing and rejoice. Mm -hmm. And that completely resonated with me for many reasons. Mm -hmm. One, because I first really discovered music. Well, actually, <laughs> my father, who was just visiting here for a week, uh, he loves to tell the story about how when my mother was pregnant, he would put a headphones over her belly and play Mozart. Oh. <laughs> so really, Mozart was probably my first. Okay, well, I keep, <laughs> I've heard of that. <laughs> so. I don't know if there's any science to prove that, but Mozart has been very much a part of my journey um, professionally, <laughs> so speaking. But uh, being introduced to my first experiences of music were in the church and then certainly in school and uh, and then through videos and musicals that I would attend with my family, it was just such, it fascinated me and was so important to me and literally gave me a voice. And uh, when I was about to, my great aunt who had studied music formally at Peabody Conservatory, she was an organist, she told my family, hey, you might want to consider getting some sort of music lessons mm. or for Jessica, because she can carry a tune and that's yeah. unusual for a two-year-old, three-year-old. So, you know, I sort of started my musical journey there, but decided I wanted to be an international opera singer when I was 14. And so that's not common either. I'm sure I've realized that most people uh, at my age now still don't know what they want to do. Right. So I'm lucky <laughs> yes. very early on to figure out, oh, I this is what I want to do. I feel this is my calling. I feel this is my gifting. I feel like this is what my path should be. Mm -hmm. um, and that it is, I don't think I knew it then as much as I do now mm -hmm. that it is this very holistic mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. So, well, I didn't know it <laughs> when, <laughs> when, <laughs> When, uh, you know, Renee was like, well, you know, you're you're going to see Jessica and have some voice lessons. And I'm like, OK, cool. And I thought I would learn to sing correctly. And there is some of that, of course. But there was so much more to it than that. And it was like, you know, my body was involved in ways that I wasn't expecting, my emotions in ways I wasn't expecting, um, you know, and it was just... Um, really impactful it's something i've always enjoyed i like to sing i mean just and and then and you came in a beautiful singer i uh, think that, you know the things that maybe you were experiencing at that time mm -hmm. you know your voice is becoming a reflection of that or sort of even like a sounding board for things that you were exploring personally um professionally and right. uh so i think that's where i have come to learn and Renee was so intuitive about this you know she knew from my interactions with her um and bringing a student to her that I there was something going on vocally that I struck structurally that I couldn't figure out and I even brought in the big guns <laughs> my teacher of almost 20 years Nina Hinson before she passed I zoomed in before zoom was cool yes um, <laughs> and necessary said, what do you think about this? And she's like, get her to an ENT. So that's that's how I met Renee because mm -hmm. I got in a student and and Renee was, you know, in all of her work and her personal, you know, journey with singing and mm -hmm. and speech pathology. She I I really credit her for bringing these relationships, these yeah. really special relationships into my life, into my studio, but into my life to help me help other people. Mm -hmm. From my experience yeah and both of you and we you know uh understand that you know it's the whole person and uh, you know that was, again that was hugely important well the and the the breath 
is so crucial for the task of singing. And, and, and that makes sense. People are like, well, of course. But um, it it's, I think it is on a level that most folks who don't sing, you know, and just enjoy people who do, um, do not understand. No, I think. And I, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, we spend a lot of time on that. time on <laughs> Well, and really, I find that breathing is a centering mechanism. Yeah. Uh, because there's sometimes so much anxiety that comes with singing, and uh, and I found that more so than just mechanically necessary for life, life truly. <laughs> right. And uh, and more sort of like I call it like an Olympic level. We do it um, with singing, especially operatic singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such, it's a, it's a real centering mechanism. And I've learned that, you know, when you pay attention to the breath and how it's entering into your body and how it's leaving your body, that gives you a better sense of how your body works, Mm -hmm. works in life, but also works for singing. Mm -hmm. And especially in you know, working with all, all range of singers, age-wise of singers, there is a little bit of anxiety that comes with singing. And I know I've experienced that personally, and I have been in the presence of some of the greatest opera singers of our time who have asked me, how do you handle nerves? I'm like, (laughs) you have nerves, right? (laughs) I know. Um, But, you know, I found that breathing, especially that vagus nerve reset breathing, Mm that's been a real big thing in the last couple of years since, since I've seen you last, just to kind of inhale for four, hold it for seven and release it for eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's been really, really helpful. I think just to center, um, I was actually on tour. It was probably about a year ago, I think year ago, February with a great um, classical guitarist, Sharon Isbin. Mm Uh, she founded the Juilliard guitar program. She's traveled all over the world. She's really incredible at her craft. And, and we happened to be giving a uh, concert in a synagogue. And I was my, my dressing room, my green room was a little chapel okay. uh, in the building. And so, and that, morning something came across my Facebook feed I'm sitting there and stretching you know I'm on the ground in this little chapel <laughs> feeling very reverent as I'm like you know bowing down bowing and stretching bowing and stretching and just really trying to get into my body and breathe well um I uh something had come across my Facebook feed about the name Yahweh right which is the name mm-hmm. for God right mm-hmm. especially in the Old Testament um and how breath is, how the, that name actually is a reflection of the sound that we make when we breathe. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yes. wow. that's That brings it to a whole nother level. That and- does. That's like this, like the divine is breathing through into you, with through you, you into you right? and out of you and right yes. and that yeah. you know I mean from my young experience you know I was raised in the Christian faith and and I that resonated with me because mm-hmm. I I've always felt the divine as something central to what I do mm-hmm. um and so it just really sort of brought it to a whole nother level and because I believe because of something that was shared with me very early on um, actually in the very first lesson that I took with my voice teacher, Nina Hinson, who, um, I met in Santa Fe, uh, she said, we can fix what's wrong with your voice. You need to heal your spirit. And I thought, <laughs> did you say that was the very first voice lesson you had with her? With her? I had, had wow. I had fantastic teachers. My very first voice teacher I met when I was eight years old, about to turn nine. I auditioned for her. I was her youngest student. Her name is Joyce Fizzolio. She's from Canada. She Mm -hmm. uh, moved to the stage. She was on the Milton Berle show. She, (laughs) um, you know, did a lot of off-Broadway things. She was a beautiful singer, beautiful human. She, She taught me so much about poise and about caring yourself and taking care of yourself. She was always dressed to the nines. Her hair was always done her nails. You know, she just Mm -hmm. looked 
the part. And I was absorbing that as a child, you know, and she would sometimes perform at our studio um, recitals. She Mm -hmm. would, she had probably a studio about 30, 30 to 60 people Mm -hmm. any given year. And uh, so she taught me a lot about that. She, we always started with breath exercises, you know, seeing how long you could hold your breath out, kind of helping your body expand and contract, um, but not really sort of the, you know, the mental connection with the Mm -hmm. breath or the spiritual connection with the breath. Although she was, you know, definitely a person of faith. And I sang at her uh, memorial when she passed um, at the Catholic church. Uh, where she attended. Um, and then I went to school and met by Mesrop at Pepperdine. And um, she was a great teacher for me. Um, during that time, went on to study with Elizabeth Hines at USC. Uh, also fantastic uh, performer. She had had a wonderful career. So I learned a lot about what the career was and how to persevere through a lot of things and really mm-hmm. sort of develop, continue to develop my technique. Um and went off to Santa Fe Opera as an apprentice artist, but realized in that time that I had gotten away with youth and talent for a long time. And even though I had a lot of really incredible instruction, I just hadn't really understood the connection of breath to my body Mm -hmm. and breath to my singing and how I could really use my body in a way to support my voice better than I could with just youth and talent. <laughs> right. so, and so I, I was really struggling during that time. And, and cause I was in this, you know, vast ocean of really talented young singers. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest of all of them, but um, I did encounter a teacher who they brought in, who was, had her own way of mm-hmm. a sort of breaking you down to build you back up and <laughs> right. I, on the receiving end of that, which was not extremely pleasant and really crushed my spirit. Uh, and that's when I met Nina and Nina mm-hmm. said that, to me. you know, she mm-hmm. said, what's wrong with your voice? You need to hear your spirit. And I think, you know, the surprising part, people say, well, okay, yes, breathing is important, but it's not a matter of, um, just, I don't know how you, you mentioned, let me say it this way. You mentioned breathing in and then letting the breath out. And right. that I found those two things together were what would, um, like made the hugest difference and would trip me up (laughs) because it seems so simple. People are like, you're just talking about breathing. No, it's like letting, because you would say to me like, you know, that it's in me, you know, like it just, I have to just let it out. It's not a matter of hitting the note. It's a matter of letting the note out. You know what I'm, you know, right. Yes. So, but there's so much that can stop that. Correct. And there would be times that I would just be, I would like tense up and then it's like, why am I doing that? You know, and what's going on And the, the process of not doing that, which took practice and practice and for me counseling, but practice <laughs> me <too>. was, <laughs> was what made the emotional connection, right. you know, to like right. trust myself right. that it is in me. And that it wants to come out. I mean, that is huge. It is huge. And I think that, you know, that brings to mind a couple really important steps in my own process. And then what I teach, you know, to Mm -hmm. my students. And that one is that we can become blocked. We become blocked by trauma. We become blocked by anxiety or fear. We become blocked by a lack of self-worth. We Mm -hmm. become become blocked by um, ourselves, you know, Mm. getting out of our own way is something that. Yes. That was the thing you, you're like, you just got to get out of your own way. And I'm like, that's profound. Yes, it is. But how? (laughs) Yes. How you do that. Right. Right. And so a couple of the things that um, helped with, for me, Nina suggested that because I wasn't getting that deep breath, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and so let's talk a little bit about the mechanism of breath. 
Yeah. Right. So we just, we inhale and I, you, you want it to go as low as you can. I had mm-hmm. one of my teachers said, you need to sing into your pelvic floor. And I often yeah. say, I did not know where that was until I had children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I trying to explain, you know, especially to like, you know, a teenager, maybe somebody who is uh, starting their collegiate career, right? Right. Where the pelvic floor is, that's kind of a little, that's a little bit difficult to understand sometimes, mm-hmm. but I figured out a few, few ways to do it. Um, without you having to have a child to figure that out. <laughs> but the other thing, even before I had kiddos, um, Nina suggested that I take some Alexander Technique lessons, which I did from a wonderful woman named Pamela Blanc. And she worked with a lot of singers. So that was also helpful. But in doing Alexander Technique, now Alexander was a Shakespearean actor and uh, kept losing his voice. And uh, so really became mindful about his approach to using his voice in acting through his body and through how he was using his body. So one of the things that I discovered was, well, two things, very important things. One is learning how to be present Mm -hmm. in your body. Mm -hmm. And so I would lay on a table and she would, you know, be working with my body to help release any, any blocks Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was good for me to actually like check in with all the parts, you know, from head to toe, like head to toe back up again. Yes. Where, where physically I was experiencing a block and that she was working on. And then I would stand up and we would do these exercises where I would go from a standing position to sort of a seated position and how my body works in the space Mm. and how I can actually still move and not feel blocked or feel like I'm restricted, Mm -hmm. but be present in my body in the space. And then one of these times we were doing that, she said, now I want you to sing while you're doing that. And so I did. And as I was inhaling, I felt this backspace release in Mm -hmm. my ribs that I was like, I've seen other singers do that, but I didn't know how to do it. And Mm -hmm. so it released in my understanding of how my body was connected to my singing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can actually use my torso from my shoulders to my hips to expand in a way that really allows my breath to come in. And then I use my muscles to release the sound, but Mm -hmm. the releasing is all tied into a concept called allowing Mm. something I'd never heard about. What a great term. Until I had discovered Alexander technique. And she would say, you know, you, you need to stop end gaining. I think we, especially Uh, in this culture that we have lived in, grown up in all about end gaining. We're all about the final product. We're all about how do we get to the goal? How do I be number one? And I think that there are certain. We try so hard. Try so hard, right? And and I think there is benefit to seeing the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But when it means that all we are doing is focusing on the end and that we neglect being present in the process, we forget that we can be still and allow things to happen and we don't have to work for them. Yes, and we can be present while they're happening completely, mind, body, spirit. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why I say singing is really simple. It's just really breath. um, (laughs) Yes. But it's all these other things. Yeah, but that takes most of your time. (laughs) It's And then we have to peel back all the onion layers to get where we to 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 make it that simple. Um, The other thing I'm always reminded of. especially in getting the breath to make the sound happen is this whole concept of phonation and onset. And um, it really comes from a pedagogue, very well-known pedagogue named Richard Miller, who I learned about somewhere along the way, I think in either undergrad or graduate school. But um, as I've been trying to figure out how to explain how phonation actually happens to singers, the concept of the Bernoulli effect, which is this physics principle um, that actually uh, in, it's it's how a plane lifts off the ground. Okay. It's a combination uh-huh. of thrust mm-hmm. and um, 
and thrust and uh, energy moving forward, but it gains that lift. Yes. That actually gets that huge ton of metal. (laughs) Right. Defying gravity off the ground. It's the same thing that happens that that's the same concept when applied to singing Mm -hmm. that happens when your breath has enough, I call it spin or energy or intensity or direction, pick one (laughs) to, to pull, literally pull your vocal cords together to make the sound. Mm -hmm. So if we want to get extremely technical about it, you know, we're taking that, we're allowing, not taking the breath, but allowing Mm -hmm. the breath to come in. Mm -hmm. To fill, to fill our body, to Mm -hmm. fill, not just our lungs, but just to, I like the whole concept of filling everything from your shoulders to mm-hmm. your hips. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it helps even some singers when they don't feel that, that that's not enough. I tell them to feel like they are singing down or breathing, inhaling down in through their legs into the floor. Mm-hmm. So as one of my colleagues have said, to one of my singers, it's like you have roots into the ground so that yeah. you feel the depth of that breath. And it really literally grounds you. Yes. And then as that breath is then released out, there's an intensity, which with that breath needs to uh, release to, to literally pull, physically pull your vocal cords together. Mm-hmm. So we practice this. Oh, oh. So they can realize the connection of the breath, mm-hmm. the chords, and how, I mean, that's super technical. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely one of the very first lessons I have with a new, mm-hmm. new to me singer and a new student. <laughs> right. um, so that they can understand the physical connection. Mm-hmm. But as you were saying that sometimes the physical can happen, but there's a layer of emotional, mm-hmm. mental that and throw up blocks. Yes. That. Well, the body holds on to our experiences and you mentioned trauma earlier and many of us aren't even aware of what that has been Correct. depending on how young we were or whatever we've blocked out even. And so, you know, then you go to something like, you know, a voice lesson and, and you're, you know, start this process and realizing that you know, I will use this word, but it's not really true. You know, I can't do this, but of course you can, but it's like, it's not, I'm not allowing this right. to happen. So because something is blocking it, but there were times I would end up in tears, mm-hmm. not over, no, what I mean is, um, well, for lots of reasons, but, but I was thinking now of when like the note would hit or you know not hit but when everything came together that you were just talking about and in it my my voice came out and like filled the room mm-hmm. and what happened in me is that i re- had this connection this realization that i didn't make that happen mm-hmm. i allowed it to happen yes right and it right. was in there it's in there the whole time if yeah. i got out of my way <laughs> my own way and did what I, you know, did what I needed to, but just to, to allow it, 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 it was hugely important. I mean, just, well, and it was so present. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when those moments would happen, it would like fill the whole space, right? Your body, you know, your, the way our bodies are designed, especially for singing, is that we have all these resonating cavities in our head. And actually, our torso acts as a resonating cavity, especially chest resonance. Mm-hmm. And um, but when when we are unblocked and allowing that to just be what it is, it's amazing the amount of sound that happens. Yes. <laughs> and out. most of us don't experience that because we're not intentionally helping that to happen or allowing Correct. It, you know but Correct. nor are we in situations where we really you know right. not everybody's an opera singer right True. <laughs> so. but there's such implication though just for sure. anything if you're given a speech or just being present for something or you're right. needing to feel grounded like you right. were mentioning earlier um you know and it's like those principles are you know are, are part of that too but yeah yes. yeah so i think a lot of my 
work personally mm-hmm. and recently um, has been to find ways to become unblocked. Mm-hmm. You know, what methods do we use? And I love what you were sharing earlier about counseling. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. That's, that's enlightening in so many ways. Um, but just to really understand what has made us the people that we are, mm-hmm. you know, where, where is our, what grounds us, what we, what gives us our value, our sense of worth, um, what gives you, gives us our identity and, and how we operate from that point. And so, you know, Nina saying to me, you need to heal your spirit. I mean, yes, I was wounded. Mm-hmm. I was wounded and I needed to understand mm-hmm. that. I'm not saying that that happens to everybody. Sure. They don't have that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gosh, a lot of, lot of work, but, um, <laughs> she would also tell me, you know, that, well, in that process of learning how to heal, I did, um, I, I did start therapy. I, I found, I uncovered some things about myself, why I was a perfectionist, Mm -hmm. why I was, why somebody's opinion mattered more to me than all the work that I put into something. Um, I'm with you. (laughs) you How, how literally with one comment, they could just cut me off at my knees. Um, And, and, and some of these things were not true, you know, I mean, yes. they may be true for that person and what they're that what they're hearing, what they're expressing, but that's not necessarily the whole truth, you know. And right. so, I think it was important for me to understand what the roots of these things were. Mm-hmm. Like, where did the root of perfectionism come? I tell right. always, I'm a recovering perfectionist uh. <laughs> because I heard a really wonderful masterclass once taught by Christopher Parkening, also an incredible classical guitarist who worked a lot with um, the. Uh, native Cincinnati and um, mm. um, what is her name? Like uh, Kathleen Battle, who was mm-hmm. one of the first influences mm. uh, singing. And uh, they did a lot of work together. And he said, you know, perfection, per- perfection isn't the goal. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. we get caught up in perfection. Maybe if for me personally, it was because um, I had, I, I grew up in, some of the influences that I grew up under um, required perfection, required yeah. like a straight A's or it's not yeah. going to cost this. And so right. I'm being taught uh, something that actually isn't true. Yes. In, in and you s- bigger scheme of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of us is perfect. So right. why is that the goal? <laughs> right. It is a goal. But, you said that to me too about, you know, that I was afraid that like the audience would be judging me and you're like, so what? Yeah. So don't, what? Don't worry about what they, you're not doing it for that. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So Christopher Barkening said, you know, perfection is not the goal. Excellence is the goal. Mm-hmm. And you, how, how do you get excellent? You just do excellence is, you know, based on experience. And mm-hmm. if you're experiencing this every day, you're going to become excellent at it because it's then what you become. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's much more attainable than perfection because that's not attainable. And, uh, and then the other thing that you were just talking about, you know, gaining your, uh, I don't know, sense of self-worth or accomplishment mm-hmm. based on what other people say yeah now we live in a world that is extremely critical yes sometimes we are the most critical of ourselves so i often tell students you know you have to you have to have a an objective criticism of yourself Mm -hmm. um because you you have to realize that that uh you have to be kind to yourself Mm -hmm. there are things that need to be fixed sure but um you know we're all in a process right so we cannot be so hard on ourselves and we certainly can't allow other people to be so hard on us that it um takes away our joy for what we do and it takes away our purpose for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that 
um, I tell the muse what I call the museum story often. And I think I might've shared this with you at some point, but, um, and it was a glorious day when I figured out, wow, me not caring what other people thought yeah. <laughs> was actually freeing in a way that I didn't expect it to be, but it allowed me to be the artist and the singer and the human being that I think God had always right. Created. Yep, I get that. Really important mm -hmm. for me. Um and uh and it was so freeing. But I talk about I, I just use this example a lot because when I go to the museum, I love to see French impressionism. That there's something mm -hmm. about it that just like speaks to my soul. Yeah, and me I, too. It's the fact that it's like the stillness of it, that, mm -hmm. that what it's trying to capture is what I long for, which is like <laughs> peace and right. Right. you know, and just a sense of re release and relief from all the stresses mm -hmm. of life and just connecting with things that have been around long before I came to be and will be here long after I'm gone and how those things are renewing and refreshing and um, just give me a sense of rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It kind of blurs the harsh lights. I, exactly. Exactly. And um and so um, I have a beloved aunt who was a docent at the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, and uh, she loved Greek antiquities. And that is just not my jam. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I feel like I've seen one. I've seen right, one. There. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a lot there to, for me to. So I was like, hey, I'll see you at the cafe at lunch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where I'm going to be over here in French Impressionism. Right. And but does my opinion of Greek antiquities lessen their value and their contribution to history and mm -hmm. art and culture? No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And does my love of French Impressionism make that better than what somebody else was inspired to do in Greece? No. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I have to remind myself and hopefully help others learn that just because someone has an opinion about your contribution to the world and your purpose and what you feel is what you are um, destined to do to share and, and what is your purpose here on this planet, is not always relevant mm -hmm. and should mm -hmm. not steer you away from what you know is good. And I think the people that are most successful at this are the people who allow um, trusted folks into their, mm -hmm. like Nina was mm -hmm. a trusted. I mean, right. you could tell me the truth, um, very gently. You know? Right. Well, she had your best interests. Like she was on your side. She was right. rooting for you. And right. when we have those people yeah. around us, yeah. you know, that makes a big difference. Yes. And that you have to choose those people wisely. Yep. Yes. At times. And that doesn't mean you choose the people who always tell you what you want to hear. Because that's not good. I no, it's it right. It's about your in. Yeah, that's right. It's about their I, care for I you. Would would love and and care for you know me and build my voice, but she would also you know she would cut to the chase and say, and none of this you can't you know just yeah. really yeah. be honest about things. Um, but always in a way, and I and that resonates with me too because that's something I grew up. You always share the truth in love. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't mm -hmm. share it with a harsh word, and you mm -hmm. don't you know, kindness is king. And, and sometimes that means that, you know, you are going to have to say something that is, I, I wouldn't say harsh, um, but um, could be received that way, but you do it because you want to, you want to have, um, 
the love that is intended um, to be the driving force of whatever mm-hmm. truth that is that's being mm-hmm. shared. You know, like, you know, you have studied the Bible. So I always think about that story about David, you know, where um, his trusted advisor, was it Jonathan, I think, came to him and said, hey, um, I love you, man, but <laughs> this thing you're doing is somebody else's wife. Right. Yeah, you, you know. Maybe not so good. May want to rethink that. Rethink <laughs> <laughs> that for a minute, you know. And those are the people that that help you become the best uh, right. you that you right. are are to be. So I always hope to to you know carry on that mm. uh, that legacy that Nina had um, mm. with me to to be able to like she said we can fix that. You need this. I mean, right. Like, one sentence. Oh, I do. Okay. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, Te- technical hopeful. stuff we can fix. Yeah. But yes. hopeful, hopeful in the end, you know, it wasn't right. like, oh, that sucks. And you're never going to have. Right. Yes. Right. Never mind. What, <laughs> yeah. Which is what I had been hearing. Well, if you don't get that together, you're never going to have a career. I'm yes. like, okay, is that hopeful? Um, Not really. Not <laughs> so, really. And it's, and yeah. if you're not helping me figure that out. Then maybe you're not the person to be on my team to do that. So mm-hmm. So thankfully, Nina was, you know, this little sort of heaven central who was, you know, giving me. And also, I think she, you know, helped me along that line to sort of understand who I was. You know, I didn't really fit into any box. You know, I always thought I'd be singing the music of Mozart and Puccini. Mm -hmm. But I realized that I was having a lot of success singing the music of the Mozart and Puccini's of our generation, mm-hmm. and that new music was kind of my thing. So, um, like I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I was glad when people would point it out to me that it was right. something that I was good at, but I had to release my own expectations of what I thought I was going to be doing, um, and sort of redefine the path a little bit. Um, and those are good things. That's, it's not always bad when you think, oh, well, you know, as mother Abbas would say, where God closes a door, he always opens a window. (laughs) So maybe the door that I thought, you know, was supposed to be open to me, that actually was a blessing that that door closed and that I could have this really exciting and important, uh, place in the music that is being created right now um, mm-hmm. on the classical continuum and have an opportunity to let my voice be completely free because no one had set an expectation. So I'm like, right, here we go. Let's yes. just, that gave me a lot of freedom. So I think that whole concept of allowing that I learned in Alexander also allowed me. Yes. <laughs> just allow things to unfold as they should as far as my career rather than just holding on to what you think yes finish what you're saying yeah exactly I didn't have to hold on to the expectations that I thought uh I was going to have a career that looked like this you Mm -hmm. know um it could look something different and brought more blessings than I could have ever imagined Mm -hmm. um the places I was able to go it really helped me embracing the the path that unfolded before me and allowed that and me allowing that to be my path mm-hmm. actually brought me I, and I shouldn't say this about because it's endgame <laughs> but it actually brought about <laughs> it actually brought about you know what I had said I wanted to do when I was 14 which was to be an international opera singer so yes it's like that out there but you don't necessarily know how it's all going to transpire right and i think that's different than in game i'm going to give you a okay i'm going to help you give yourself a pass on that (laughs) because you what i heard was that as you opened yourself to allowing more possibilities what you always expected actually happened yes you know and i think about that often you know jessica as i you know doing the work that i'm doing now and um there are times that I get in my old habits of trying really hard to make something happen. And I realize that I'm missing the journey and I may not be making happen what needs to be happening, you know, or what's supposed to even happen if, you know, the, that language someone may understand. So I'm just like, you know, uh, just kind of wrestle with that. You know, it's like, I've got to um, kind of, you know, 
lean into a little mystery and a little uncertainty and just be open. They are good. Uh, well, there's not mystery and uncertainty maybe in singing a score that's in front of you because <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> Whether or not you feel like it's going to come out well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, and that's an interesting thing because, you know, I will be, um, I have an upcoming opportunity. I can't share it with you yet, okay. but kind of like, I feel like it's a returning to my roots in a way okay. of the things that actually brought me uh, on to into my career mm -hmm. um the composer that that back to mozart right back to okay. the womb. <laughs> right right and um and it's interesting to think about that and explore that because now it's it's like 20 years later you know mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm i'm having this sort of like existential yes. <laughs> revelation as i'm saying this out loud but you know going from being in the womb listening to Mozart and then yes. <laughs> Mozart being a huge uh part of my um uh big break really mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. having a career um with I sang Susanna and the Marriage of Figaro in the final dress rehearsals uh LA Opera I was in the chorus and I was covering and uh I had to go on in the last um uh, part of the dress rehearsal period for the mm -hmm. who had lost her mother and she had to fly home to Spain. And so that led me to uh, an apprenticeship or a, um, what did they call it then? A, a resident artist, mm -hmm. artist position with LA Opera. So mm -hmm. Mozart was huge in that mm -hmm. process. Next opportunity, sort of another 20 years later, uh, 25 years later is, um, well, I just see, I just saw that. Yeah having this re um, revelation as I'm telling you it's like wow that's actually very hopeful and in a way that I is unexpected to me but in a way that I'm very excited but to look at that score thinking this seems insurmountable yes <laughs> <laughs> but I've done it before but you know so well, but it's I it's going to be the same process that I have now yes. learned all these years over and over and I'll eat the elephant one bite at a time, yes. but I also think about, you know, taking mm -hmm. in each breath and just allowing the experience to be what it is. What it is. And Jessica, do you, I just had this thought, do you do the process the same all the time? What, no, let me say that. Do you do all of it, whatever it is, all the time? Um, do you bypass some things <laughs> or well, you know I, is that fair maybe I great, shouldn't even ask that's a great that. question no I love that you asked the that reason question. I'm asking I was thinking that you I'm going to guess that there are parts you can't just jump over correct you know that's what I'm saying so I didn't want to just assume that though so I wanted to ask you so I'm just going to throw that out just so you know my motivation I appreciate that. Okay. I think it honestly depends on how crazy, stressed, busy I am. All right. All, <laughs> All right. aspects of Sometimes life. you just do it. And sometimes you have to, you know, you have to rest on the fact that you have experience doing it. Yes, this. that's true too. And you're not really starting from scratch. You're starting uh, from scratch, but with a big head start. And, yes. So and, unlike me in those weekly lessons where I started from scratch every single time, we are different in our experience. Well, but you know what, Dale, I do actually in this particular experience, I feel like I am going to it for me. And I, I hope this isn't an expectation that I'm placing on myself. Right. I just talked about not placing expectations. Right. Yes. But I do feel like there's a certain level of importance mm -hmm. to say that this is what I hope to achieve. Yes. And I hope that this time around, um, knowing how to achieve that and knowing that life is a series of highs and lows <laughs> If it's the stock market, you're hoping that it's always going to go in the upwards. Uh, yes, but, but you're going to have all these highs and lows yeah, through the process yeah. that there are going to be things that based on my experience, I'm going to be like, yep, I understand that. Mm -hmm. But I, I understand and I can bypass certain things. But if I want to make the most of this experience, I, uh, I know how uh, valuable it is mm -hmm. to take the time 
to uh, be present, mm -hmm. to allow, and to start from scratch, um, especially in the beginning mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. process, mm -hmm. because it sets such an important foundation for what I want to be excellent in the end, mm -hmm. right? And right. so I have that goal, but the goal is not always, a, you know, I think the goal is there to give me hope, you know? <laughs> yes. It's not there to be a measure of my value. Right. Right. It, but very different. Goal, yeah, the, it's very different. And then the goal is going to help me through the process mm -hmm. versus being a measure of whether it was good enough when mm -hmm. I get there at the end. So you've worked with private students in your private studio, your students in your private studio of all ages and abilities, and you're now working with college students, right? And so uh, at uh, Miami University in Ohio. And so what has that been like to, because I'm just, again, there's an assumption I'm making, but that there are not, that I'm not the only person who has some revelation or some powerful moment when they're going, when they're kind of learning this craft. Yes. And again, we're all learning it for, some of us are learning it for diff different reasons. You know, right. I don't have an aspire, aspiration to be a, an opera singer, but, um, which is probably not true for your students. Um, but some you get them, to, you get to, yeah. some of them it is. Yes. Some of, so you, true, but some of them it's not because it's not. Okay. they are, that's not their path that yeah. they've chosen. Music so, education. I have a lot of Oh, music. yes, of course. So then you, do you ever see some, you know, experience these ahas in oh, yes. people? And my is that day. so exciting? You, you, what'd you say? It's my favorite day. Yeah. Of, I was going to say, how exciting <laughs> is that? And do you, own do you realize how important your role is in helping them you know well i cool. feel like i am you know i feel like i'm a part of a legacy yes yes of, of people who have seen the importance of building into other people mm -hmm. so that they are equipped to do what they do i find that very humbling i find it a privilege um i don't i um, and I'm not trying to create a false humility here, but I also realize that there's so many factors that go into making a person a person. Yeah. But what I have to offer um, is sometimes very important and exactly what that person needs for that day, but mm -hmm. it's not the only thing that that person needs in life. Mm -hmm. And so I think because I I think maybe this comes from my experience of dealing with a lot of egotistical teachers. I shouldn't say that. None of my teachers were like that, but I've run into a few teachers that are like, I can make or break you. And yes. I don't like that because that's not true. <laughs> I, think that's, right. I think that's honestly true. And I don't want to be the kind of teacher that where, where students feel like, uh, that is true about me. Right. I, 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 because that's not why I do it. Mm -hmm. I love being helpful. Mm -hmm. I, think mm -hmm. I, on the Enneagram, mm -hmm. <laughs> wheel, I'm a three, so I, I'm a helps person mm -hmm. and, um, I'm also a very efficient person, which can sometimes get in my way of the process. So, but I, I really do feel like helping is part of, my mission and that mm -hmm. I, I am able to see things in a way that help other people put it together. Um, right. Cause I have that sort of holistic perspective about it. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't make me better than anybody else. It just makes mm -hmm. me who I am. And I do hope that's a blessing to other people that mm -hmm. I work with. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the aha moments are my favorite I, and they don't happen on a specific day. It's just like, right. my favorite, it's my favorite right. time of um, because uh, to be present when someone is making a connection that is helping them realize the best version of themselves is always a special moment to be a part of. And I'm, I'm really grateful for mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for my teachers who were there to help me have those moments. And mm -hmm. I do the same for other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. They're all at various levels. Um, mm -hmm. That's why um, you know, and some, they all have different goals, you know, and, um, 
some wannabe music educators. And I was thankful for that year before I started teaching at Miami that I was a music educator. Mm -hmm. Wiped out my entire uh, calendar of performing um, as it did, you know, across the world. And so everybody was learning how to pivot. And I became, um, I had three hats at my children's school, um, aiding in their classrooms, which I had done since they were junior K and then stepping into a little bit more of an administrative position to help, um, with the school. And then two months into the school year became the music teacher when Mm -hmm. teacher left. And that was, I, I look back and I'm like, that was a divinely timed. Mm, that was in a sense, a gift. Cause it was because then you it, understand that on a level that, yeah, it gave me such an appreciation for, um, for music educators. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't, but I think because right. when you are, when you do, when you assume a job that you haven't been educated to do, <laughs> right. And you're on the fly, you know, and learning how important that is. You know, I tell all my music ed students, you are the front line. You are sometimes the only person that is going to be able to identify a musical gift in a child um, and to help grow that in them so that it becomes a part of who they are created to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's huge. Like you're the only person who can do that because right. of your education and your training. And plus you're going to have a ball at the same time, right. you know, helping them discover and enjoy. And music is so important for the development of a child's brain mm-hmm. um, that it is an absolute essential, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. for the curriculum. And so you get to, you get to be a part of that process and it's so exciting. Um, but then there are other students who are like, you know, I want to, performing that's my passion and or choral music and mm-hmm. directing a choir that's my passion mm-hmm. or music minister or you know there's so many so many options so many paths and um I think for me you know my path was pretty distinct and direct and and and, and what I wanted to do and um so being in this position helps uh, continue my uh, passion for helping people and encouraging them to be what they are called to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody, it's kind of like my, my journey with my health crisis a few years ago, you know, mm-hmm. I, I learned that everybody's experience with that is their individual experience. Mm-hmm. And are as individual as their own DNA and then all the experiences that help them become who they are. And um, that that means the path is going to be different for every person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are, you know, certain ways to get there. Like, you know, if you take the Ivy League, League route, yes, that hopefully will eventually mean that you get this in the end, but that's not always true. You know, mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. you know, my education was not necessarily that route, but it gave me so many incredible things that I mm-hmm. would never say I want that instead, you know, right. I would have wished I had that instead. And I, I think my hope um, as an encourager to singers is that they is to help them become who they are. Yes. To be right. And that that's going to look different. Um, and mm-hmm. as individual as that right. is. Yes. Well, I'm so glad that you, again, that you talked with me today. And, um, you know, I thought I wanted to have this conversation because I thought, you know, I knew there, that for me, there, I can see so many applications to mm-hmm. what goes into uh, preparing to sing and to use your voice well. Uh, it's kind of a, it's an, um, there are applications with that process to just, again, being present in your life, getting out of your way, figuring out why you can't, you know, what is it that's sticking? Yes. What is it that keeps you from doing that? And, um, you know, um, and then allowing, you know, who you, you know, things to happen and, and who you are to come out. Uh, and the power in in that. So I just thought 
you know, I really uh, appreciate you helping process that a bit with us today. So my, my pleasure. Thank you, Dale, for the invitation. And yeah, it always helps me sort it out in my own mind. We do it again. Yes, there we go. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hear It From Me podcast. Tune in for the rest of season one and check out my other content on Substack where I write the unlearning blog and get in touch with me as well as find the link to buy my memoir, Hush Child, Finding My Voice and Breaking the Silence through my website, dalelikens.com.